how often do you get some really big news and then just sit with yourself with it? And welcome back to another episode of Backstage Chats with Women in Music. I'm your host, Thea Wood. Our next guest is a new age music composer from the Hudson Valley in New York. She's been featured in media ranging from Harper's Bazaar to People Magazine to the ABC Family. She's the first person to compose and produce an entire album on a cross-country train trip from New York to LA and back to New York again. The entire time, she was grieving the loss of her best friend. The result? The Passenger, which is nominated for a 2023 Grammy in the New Age category. It's also completely produced, mixed, and mastered by All Women Team. She's the traveling electronic minstrel and ambient BFF who writes the songs that hear what ails you. Please welcome Cheryl B. Engelhart. Hi, thank you for that. I think that might have been my most favorite intro ever. Wonderful. <laughs> I strive for that. Yeah. Uh, ambient minstrel. I'm like, oh, I'm going to feel like I need to put a hat on with a feather in it. Or oh, yes. That, uh, <laughs> well, thoughts for your next album, right? And yeah, you do have right. a song about feathers. I do. It's called The Two Feathers. I love it. Well, uh, let's see here. The first thing that we do with everybody who is on our show is we do the shakedown questions. And they're a set of short answer questions that we ask everyone. Are you ready for the shakedown? Oh, yeah. We're just going to go for it. We're let's doing do it. it. We're jumping right in. Okay. First one. Who was your first concert? Oh, geez. I don't remember, but I feel like Manhattan Transfer was really early on in there. Really early on. And why Manhattan Transfer? I, I remember going with my parents and my sister. So that, and I know it was like a holiday, one of their holiday concerts. Um, and they came to Stamford, Connecticut, which is where I grew up. Um, so I feel like that must be one of the first ones. Nice. Okay. Well, what was the album that you, the first album that you bought with your own money? I honestly, I think it was a cassette and I think it was Sting. Oh. Yeah. Or the Google Dolls. Or the Google Dolls. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, well, okay. So you both are more of the pop category. Oh yeah. No, I, I love pop music. I had a thing for like the man bands, not the boy bands. I was not into like NSYNC and all the boy bands, but the, like the Dave Matthews and the vertical horizon and you two and like the man bands. That was like my thing. Yeah. In the nineties and like early two thousands. That was totally, totally my And you have a bit of a pop background in your career as well. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I got started uh, toward my first four albums or sort of singer, singer, songwriter, pop type music. So yeah, very strong influence from, from the nineties man bands, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to the next question, which woman has had the most influence on your career? Um, I think Sarah Bareilles. Yeah. Early two thousands. Um, when I was first getting started, I saw her my my bass player and her drummer had grown up together. And so my bass player was like, hey, let's go, let's go see my friend in this show. He's he's playing drums for this girl. And she's opening for this band who's opening for this other band at Princeton University. They're called Maroon 5. And so this is all, you know, just a college gig. And I went and we hung out and I was like, I felt like the only person listening, really. And I'm like, she's really good. Like, like, whoa, Nelly. And she had just come out with her first record. And so I went in emailing and I was asking her all sorts of questions and we kind of stayed friends for the next decade ish before she got really, really, really humongous. Um, but really musically and just how she interacted with her fans. I was on her mailing list and learned really early on that you can just be yourself. So I think that, that she had a really big role in just sort of seeing what was possible and kind of looking to someone and, and realizing you don't have to do it the way it's been done before. Mm, I love that. The innovation and creativity and the, in the process of building the career on top of everything else. Right. Well, which band or artist is in heavy rotation on your playlist right now? Not, no one. My husband makes fun of me that I don't listen to music a lot. Right now I've been listening to a lot of ambient music. Um, I got new speakers. So I've been like cal recalibrating my ears to the, the room. So I'm just kind of listening, but I have a couple ambient projects coming up, composing projects. So I'm just kind of trying to figure out what does a really good ambient track sound like in this new space. Um, I recently redid my studio and now with the new speakers, I've just been sort of diving into that genre um, just so I can catch myself up with in terms of mixing. Um, so 
Yeah, I don't really have an answer for that currently. currently. <laughs> so we'll have to come back to you at some point and yeah, find out. Yeah, you'll have to come back to <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next question, which is, if you could have a dinner with any woman, dead or alive, who would it be? Alicia Keys. Oh, I love that answer. I was just listening to her this morning. Yeah, she's awesome. Oh, that's wonderful. That would be a good conversation. And I feel like I know I read her book. And honestly, 20 years ago, when she first won the Grammy, her acceptance speech was, you know, something along the lines of, you can do anything you put your mind to. And I think a lot of people would say, yeah, right, that's super cliche. And I, I, there's something about the way she delivered that, that I was, I set out to prove her right. And here we are 20 years later and in that specific and I was like is it impossible if she's really saying that anyone could do it I was like can anyone do it if they really put their mind to it let's try let's try let's okay here we go wow okay so so, and and what was the first thing you put your mind to after you heard that that Grammys happened to be I think it was that one on my birthday February 23rd so I was what I turned 23 on February 23rd and I was like, this is my magic year. And I actually just found a journal entry from that. It was 20 years ago. Just found a journal entry where I was like, I just watched the Grammys on my birthday. And I feel like, and I had just started recording my first record. I hadn't even released any music, but I wrote in this journal entry, like I'm so inspired. And I, Alicia Keys was part of that, that I think this is a, I'm going to make this a life goal now. Like I'm going to go after a Grammy. So I'm re- and I wrote in my journal, I'm ready to work my butt off and get this thing soon, <laughs> which I'm now like, ha, ha, ha. I don't know if 20 years is exactly soon to a 23 year old, but <laughs> here well, we are. And how many people think, oh, I'd like a Grammy. And, you know, 20 years later, they're still thinking about it, but it hasn't. Yeah, I play a long game. I'm pretty I've been told I'm loyal to a fault. Like I stick around. I stick around. You do like. Yeah, it's persistence. Persistence. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, we have one more question on the shakedown, and that question is: it's a big one. What is one life goal you'd like to accomplish before climbing that golden stairway to heaven? I would like to provide a way for people who normally wouldn't be able to express their art a way to express their art. So, underprivileged communities to have access to recording studios, to communities of mentors um, and working on a foundation to create that. I love that, especially coming from the nonprofit world. I feel you. I feel you. This is exciting. Wonderful. All right, everybody. Well, we are here with Cheryl B. Englehart, and we will be right back after this message. Did you know that in the wake of the pandemic, 25% of women in music don't know where their next dollar is coming from? and 33% report suffering in mental health crisis. Help artists connect with event hosts for paid gigs through Horizon Music's all-female musician marketplace. Donate today, and you could be helping the star of tomorrow. Visit backstagechats.com and be the change. Horizon Music would like to thank our friends at Tito's Handmade Vodka, Gibson Brands, and Linda Perry for supporting women in music. If your business would like to support our nonprofit, please email info at horizonmusic.org. That's info at H-E-R-I-Z-O-N music.org. Let's get back to the show. And we're back. We're back with Cheryl B. Englehart today, a Grammy-nominated composer artist who is with us uh, to talk a little bit about her journey Um through what I will call the new age, uh, I guess, journey. And um, the first thing that I want to do is talk a little bit about new age music. What defines new age music? What makes it different than, let's say, pop music, which is where you kind of started and got your chops? Yeah, I think for me, when I'm listening to or creating pop music or, or even listening to other genres like rock or country or metal there's something about them and this is one of the beautiful things about music that they can they can kind of dictate your emotions like i'm feeling a little bummed right now i'm going to go listen to katy perry's roar and get revved up you know or i'm going through a breakup i'm going to go listen to some sad taylor swift song and just commiserate right and and it can you can get pulled into and and sort of directed emotionally 
I think new age music, when it's done correctly, is does the opposite. It allows you to have space for you to experience whatever emotion you need to be processing, whatever you need to be feeling. So it doesn't dictate your emotions, which just to be clear, is not a bad thing. And it, again, it's part of the beauty of music. But I think new age music is designed to be more um, experiential for the listener. And I think the best new age music that I've heard is music that was created when the composer and the artist was having their own experience, not that that experience gets, you know, transplanted to me, but just the, for example, the, the album that I wrote, that's new age ambient. I was grieving, like you said, the loss of my best friend and which happened two weeks before I started, like it was all planned out and then boom, that happened. So Yes, there's an element of grief in the music, but you don't listen to it and you're like, this is a grieving record. This is the thing I listen to when I'm sad. Um, I've had people say that they've been in the hospital listening to it and it's really helped them through hard times. And it's it's a healing record and it's a processing record. And it, you know, for everyone, it's a little bit different, but the point is that they're having the experience that they need to have and it's the soundtrack for that. Um, so that's, for me, that's the nuanced definition of, of new age. Um, I also think that there are elements of, there's like a, a flow. There's not so much form in pop. You have your, in rock, you have your verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, double chorus, but you know, whatever the, the format is some variation of that. I think new age gives you a little bit more freedom. I think there's a, an element that could potentially cross over into classical as well as ambient and electronic. There's, I know there are roots of, of ambient and electronic music inside of new age. Um, Sometimes there are nature elements in New Age. So you might hear some birds or oceans and there's a um, sort of a, a crossover there as well. So I think that New Age can kind of embody a lot of different, a lot of different things musically and, and sonically to provide that foundation for a listener experience. Yes. And uh, I think too, uh, a lot of times there's an absence of that hard beat that you hear in pop or rock or jazz, any of those, where it's more of a flow um, than a catchy hook or a beat. Yeah. You, you know, you think back to, and I grew up with Enya, honestly, and, and now thinking about the questions of like influential music, I think Enya is probably one of them too. <laughs> um, but I mean, Orinoco Flow, that that rocks. I mean, that, that song slaps and it's totally new age. I think it, that one the Grammy. Um, so yeah, I, I think in general, a lack of a beat doesn't necessarily remove it or add it to the genre, but I think it's not necessary. Right. Right. Yes. Um, and, in listening to the passenger, um, there are lots of elements of nature that are conjured and, um, it's interesting because I think a lot of what it, of the nature that comes forth in it are because of how you wrote and produced it on your cross country trip on a train. And I would love for you to share your story about a, why you decided to do this and B how it actually influenced the musical composition. Yeah. I, I kind of joked around in December of, 2021 and said I was planning to go to the Grammys as a voting member. They were supposed to be January 31st of the following year. And I was looking at flights and I was like, flights are so expensive and I should just take a train. And I was kind of joking out loud. Um and then I went down the rabbit hole of like, would can you take a train? Can I take a train across? The like I didn't even know it was a thing you can do. And there's these little rooms. It was like very Harry Potter, right? Where like the two seats are facing each other and then they turn into a bed. And I was like, okay, this looks delightful. And you know, I was talking to my sister about it, and my husband, and they were both like, that sounds claustrophobic. You're crazy. Like, didn't you see the sex in the city where they did that and they hated each other? You know, like it was a whole and I was like, No, I feel like I'm gonna like it. I don't know. So I booked this train trip out to um Los Angeles. And I was going to stay with my sister during the Grammys and then just fly home. And early January, um, actually we're coming up on the year anniversary now, as we're recording this, um, my, my friend, Kevin Archambault, who I wrote a musical with, and we spent, I mean, hundreds of hours together writing and researching this. It's a musical based on, um, in a Kennedy event from the sixties. And, I also musical directed a bunch of shows that he directed at the local theater here and he passed away of cancer 
two weeks before I was supposed to get on the train. And the same week they canceled the Grammys or moved it till April because of a COVID peak. So here I am with this train ticket and this idea that maybe I'll try to write some music on it and just completely like, what's the point <laughs> like of anything? And at the same time, I really felt like I needed to get out of my studio. I think this trip was one of the first in the pandemic that I was really, I was going to take cross country and, and get out of my space. And I just felt like I needed to get out of my skin and I wanted to go somewhere new, but travel for me is always it's so exhausting. Like there's all the logistics and I'm really good at the logistics. So I'm always the one doing them. And there was something about the idea of getting on a train and being able to just kind of sit and lie down. I, I kind of lay down the most, most of the time, but still be traveling, still getting to see the country go by 80 miles an hour. It was like the best of both worlds to be able to get away, but also rest. Um, so, so yeah, I got on the train and two days in, I knew that I was going to have at least 12 tracks by the time I arrived. It was just like coming out. And I brought a tiny little keyboard, my computer. I brought a microphone. I didn't record any. It's so noisy. It's so noisy. There's no, like, nothing worth recording. Um, the only nature sound, sounds you hear is like a recording of birds that I had taken um, years earlier with my dad. Um, and that's just on the first track. But it's all electronic. And I finished the 12 tracks when I got to Los Angeles. But I loved this experience so much that I canceled my flight and decided to take a different route back home. And by the way, none of this sounds like you relaxed. It sounds <laughs> like you kept yourself very busy, but maybe it was all part of partially the grieving process. Yeah, it was. It was also partially because I just like could not sleep. I'm a light sleeper anyway, but like every hour there's a train horn, like a crossing and ding a ding a ding a ding a ding, like, you know, I was just like, and it took me two nights to figure out that the top bunk while more kind of romantic in thought was actually much smaller and there's more movement on the higher you go on the train the, oh. the more movement there is just side to side it's very subtle and so it took me a couple of days to realize that, that turning the chairs into the bed to the set because each room has has two beds was a better idea um so I was not sleeping a ton so I would just like all right let's get out the little keyboard and the headphones and the you know and just All right. And so this is, I mean, this is equipment. And how did you, I was thinking to myself when I thought I heard of this, I was like, well, how did, how did you plug in? I mean, was there, there, there are outlets, outlets it, there was you know, room, like, there was yeah. everything that you needed to be able to do this. Yeah, absolutely. There is, I, br I brought like throw pillows. I wanted this place to be nice and cozy. I brought crystals and my tarot cards and all my little witchy stuff and, and like lights. all my new witchy stuff. Oh yeah. I brought little like tea lights. Um, I was like, this is going to be a whole vibe here. And I mean, granted, you know, I got very good at setting it up and breaking it down and just stuffing it all into one duffel bag because I did have to change trains. There were two changes on the way out and then one on the way back. But yeah, so I made it, I made it pretty cozy in there. And you know, they have the lights and they have your all the different plugs. And there are also observation rooms in the dining car for people that were staying in the in the roomettes. And so I would go there sometimes to sit at a booth and I got some looks from people. But the observation cars are really cool. They have like glass all the way around. So when we were going through the Rocky Mountains, it was like I, I mean, I couldn't even do any work because I was just watching like elk run across the frozen Colorado River. Like it was just amazing. Beautiful. And okay, so um, I had I want to ask because I have been contemplating one of these journeys myself since COVID started, actually. I thought it would be a really cool way to travel. And when you're heading from east to west, is there a better side to sit on on the train? I don't know. I thought that I had the right, the like the better side. Um, I I was sitting, so my window was facing south. So like the left side of the train. The left side the of train the train. Okay. Um, for most of the, the ride there. When I was going from New York to Chicago, I was on the right side, which was cool because I got to see the, the Great Lakes. But that most of that trip was actually in the middle of the night because the train left at five o'clock in the evening and we arrived in Chicago at like eight in the morning. So most of that was dark. And then um, Chicago to Sacramento, you go through the plains and then from Denver, you know, you have about 12 to 14 hours of just daylight going through the Rocky Mountains. Um, we went through 47 tunnels. The conductor like gives us all these facts, like the fact that we go through 47 tunnels. Right. <laughs> um, and we had to stop. We got, I don't know if it was broken down or we we're waiting for a freight train that was broken down, but we stopped like right at the base of a ski resort and they let us out and walked around and they're like, don't 
go skiing. You have to stay on the platform. But you could see the like the lifts were right on the other side of this fence. And um, so you got to sort of experience and see all of the different things. But I don't think that there's a bad a bad side. But I do feel like I I got I got I liked being on the on the side, the south side in the room that I was on. Yeah. And here's here's like a pro traveler tip. I know this is not a travel podcast, but I'll just tell we'll you. Take it. I was on the first floor and every time they had like a they called them fresh air breaks, but really it was smoking breaks. Um I would go out with a the wet paper towel and like wash my window so that I could have like very excellent streak-free videos from inside my room. And I mean, I got all the jokes, like the conductor was like, we're hiring you now. And people being like, come to my window. And I was like, go to your own window. But I, you know, I got all the jokes, but it was very worthwhile because I got some great video footage that looks like I'm not inside a train. Right. And (laughs) hey, everyone, if you want to see some of those videos, we are going to have links to uh, Cheryl's behind the scenes videos that she created for this album as well as other albums but this album is particularly cool because you do get to see the elk running across the ice and some of the mountainous views and uh the train station in chicago um it's it's really fascinating and i feel like it really draws you into the concept of the album itself uh you were very open and honest about the death of your friend kevin and in fact one of my favorite songs is the message and I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about how Kevin's kind of hidden in that particular composition. Yeah. Uh, the message is such a beautiful track. It features um, Grammy-winning pianist and composer, Danae Vlasse, uh, who's a good friend of mine. And I knew she was so busy last year, but when I arrived in Los Angeles, I had this one ambient track um, and she and I went for a walk around Los Angeles at night. And she was so moved by just how I was talking about Kevin. And she's like, listen, I don't know what's, you know, do you want me to do something on your album? And I was like, oh my God, like, I would love to feature you on my album. Like I, I had already asked a few people and I, I didn't ask Danae because I knew what was going on for her and um, leading up to her winning the Grammy. She hadn't won yet at the time that we were chatting here. Um, and I, I was just like, yeah, I have this one track that I feel like it's missing something. I don't know what it is. If you want to put something on top of it, it's not, it wasn't so much a, a collaboration back and forth, more like, here you go. Can you send it to me before I get home so I can mix it when I get home? And she basically, what she did was she wrote out some phrases like and assigned each letter of the alphabet to a note. And so I think the phrases were, um, like Kevin loves Cheryl, Cheryl loves Kevin. Very simple, sweet phrases that she just said kind of just came to her. And the, those got turned into a melody and the melody and the chord structure. And it was this kind of like, it's a little jarring, but it's it's like a finding your way kind of piano. It's, it's a little darker. It's a really different style of playing than I would have ever played. Um, I never would have thought to ask another piano player to play on my album. I'm a pianist, right? Even though this album is not a piano album by any means um so it was just a really really cool interpretation of just the relationship and then that particular ambient track um to hear what she did with it it kind of blew my mind I was like this is this is magic (laughs) that is magic and very healing I would think and that's like yeah it just came to me as like this was a message she had said to me like it's almost like I got a message this is what the text you know, if there was, there's not text, there's no singing or anything on it, but like, this is the, these are the words that need to get portrayed in this song. And so I was like, well, and that's clearly what we have to call this. It's the message. So. It's the message. It's beautiful message. Everybody, please um, take a listen. Uh, the whole album, The Passenger, of course, but the message with that special story behind it. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the people that you collaborated with. Uh, because one thing that we at Horizon Music Foundation are excited about is your whole team that you collaborated with were women. Yeah. And I didn't set out to do this like women empowerment thing. Like I was like, I'm going to like go cry about my best friend and like write some ambient music on the train. Like, cool. I had this 30, actually you can see the keyboard if you're looking at the video, my this tiny little keyboard, right? And for a pianist, it's like, that's not, I'm not going to be composing great sonatas on that or anything like that but I did want to play around with like what comes out in this sort of state um which is really raw for me I had lost my dad about 10 years ago but this felt really 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 different not better or worse less or more grief but there was something just different about losing someone your own age who you just had this really special um collaborative 
relationship with. Like he was the only person that I'd ever collaborated with in that, to that extent. Um, when Kevin passed away on January 10th of 2022, I had posted kind of the story of our friendship and just like, you know, what people do when they lose a friend. And I got so many beautiful people reaching out. Um, one of them was Lily Hayden, who I had met the year before. I'd met Lily, Danae, Sangeeta Carr um, at this gathering that I had hosted in Los Angeles for my previous record that I was throwing my hat into the Grammy, the Grammy realm for New Age um, and didn't get nominated. But by throwing this sort of get together for people, members of the Recording Academy, just to sort of make friends and make connections, I had met all these beautiful women that just showed up. I don't even know how they heard about it. I was so pleased. Lily reached out to me and we had this beautiful phone conversation after Kevin had passed away. She was sharing about her mother and she said, you know what? Now you have a beautiful bridge to the other realm. Anyway, I love that phrase and it sort of stuck with me. And I was like, I didn't even have an idea what I was going to do. I was like, would you want to do something? Honestly, I kind of like blurted it out, you know, like a little kid having a crush. You want to go out with me? Um, <laughs> Sure. Um, so I, I did the same thing that I did with um, with Danae, which was basically say, hey, I produced this track. It was kind of like a, a rough, like, here are the chords and here's the structure of it. Um, and what do you do you have anything that you can put on this based on this chord structure with there's a little melody hidden in there that she could work off of. She sent it back to me and then I kind of built around that. Um, and while I was on the train, I was like, why don't I reach out to Sangeeta too? Sangeeta and Danae were on the same album that won the Grammy a couple months later for best classical solo. And um, she's a gorgeous, gorgeous soprano. And so I wrote a line that um, a melody for her to sing. And so she sent that back to me. And then um, I had some string parts and uh, my publicist also represents Gal's string quartet. And she said, maybe just get them to, to record on that. So I sent a couple of tracks. I wrote out the sheet music for them and sent it to them and they did it really quickly. And so they're featured. Um, and then the last one was the song, The Two Feathers. And I didn't have the title for it. I just had this ambient track and it was another one that I thought was missing something. And I sent it to Sherry Finzer, who if you've ever been to a spa or if you've ever listened to any new age playlist, you have heard Sherry Finzer play the flute. Yeah, she is that flautist. And so she, and she plays the bass flute and the alto flute, like the low end. Um, we actually just did a live show in New York city and she brought her bass flute. It lo it's like this big white, it almost looks like a skinny tuba or something out of a Dr. Seuss book. It's really, really, really cool instrument. And so she sent me two tracks. She's like, pick whichever one you like. And I like them both. And I was like, Oh, so I, I weave them in and out. And I saw so many birds and feather related things throughout this whole trip that I was like, I'm going to weave one into the, I didn't use the entirety of both tracks. That would have been a little too much, but I weaved them in and then called the track, the two feathers. And so those were all the, all the guests. And at that point I was like, I have, uh, I have like a lot of women on this and I'm mixing this. So it's composed and produced because the mixing for me was part of the producing part of the composing process. Well, mixing, I, I fin had finished composing it by the time I got off the train. I was committed to only composing and producing on the train, knowing that I would come home and mix it, obviously in the studio. And, and I was like, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a woman to master this. I, I love the master engineers that I've worked with in the past. Um, but recently in the past several years, it's been a commitment of mine as a business owner to be hiring previously underrepresented population. So people of color, people from the LGBTQ community, and of course, women. So I found Kim Rosen and she had ironically mastered one of the only other albums that was really like known for train related. It was, oh God, I don't remember the artist, but they recorded all their songs at train stations and she had mastered that album. And it felt like kismet. It was like, 
Yeah. The universe is just coming yeah, exactly. together. So, um, and she's at neck mastering. It's that's her company. You had the all female group. Um, did you feel like there was any difference in the dynamics of working with these women in collaboration or anything that surprised well, you? I mean, the thing that's funny about it is, well, first of all, I do have to say Dallas String Quartet is, there's a guy in Dallas String Quartet, <laughs> um, which is why I'm not saying performed by all women. It's it's composed, produced, mixed, mastered by all women. Um, and and he's from Romania and is a delightful collaborator too. But honestly, because I was doing it, it was virtual. Um, it wasn't a lot of back and forth. It was kind of like, here's this project. Does it work for you to do something? Yes. Cool. There were other people that I had um, spoken to that were, I was sort of going back and forth with one person had a lot of technical issues and their, their studio fell apart. So she couldn't end up um, giving some. So this just happened to be like, who was able to provide something in the, t- it was a quick timeline. I really wanted to just like kind of close that chapter. So I came home um, early February. I'm, I sent it to Kim to master February on my birthday, February 23rd, 22nd. And then, um, like, so I, I really just wanted it out. And if someone was like, I can do this like in June, I was like, "Mm, no, thank you. Um, so yeah, it was kind of more of a, if you want to pop on this, cool. If not, that's also cool. We're kind of going with the flow, which is the theme of the passenger. (laughs) Yeah. Of the whole thing. Right. The theme of the whole thing. And, uh, you picked that particular word for a reason too, didn't you? The passenger. Yeah. Passenger. So I pick a word of the year every year. Um, they have often turned into t- album titles. <laughs> Luminary was one uh, 2019 that turned into my album title. My first new age album was Luminary. Um, Passenger was an idea of like, yes, it came from the, the, this sort of crazy, unique idea to go across the train and do an album, but it was more, I chose it as my word of the year. And then ultimately the title of the album so that I could really remind myself to let go of control and stop trying to force outcomes and always having to be the one that drives you know, literally or figuratively, and to really trust myself, to trust those people around me. And I asked myself, what would it look like to be a master passenger? And could I embody that? And could that yield something different for me in my life? And so far, it looks like that definitely was not a bad idea. <laughs> well, no. And, and it, you know, it goes back towards so many philosophies that talk about just letting go. Um, you know, the tighter you try to control, the harder it is for everything to come to fruition. Um, and it sounds like that happened and, uh, and to good results. Um, also, and also kind of relinquishing a little bit of control, you asked fans to weigh in on song titles and moods that the uh, compositions kind of built up for for them when they were listening um, and and their opinions on the cover art. Is that typical for you? Yeah, I like to bring my fans in. I really, I, I, I when I was touring a lot with the pop stuff is when I kind of got, really grew my fan base. And since pivoting to new age, I was like, oh, they're going to peace out. They're not going to, but I realized they're here for the the long haul. They are supportive of the music. They're supportive of me. And I think it's because I've developed this relationship with them where I'm like, you matter. And, and not assuming that they won't be interested in what I'm up to. I think a lot of musicians are like, no, one's going to want to pay for this. But like, when you go to a bank all day long and you come home and like, you have this artist that's like, Hey, help me pick my album cover. Like that's an email that they're going to open. <laughs> like it's, it's kind of like every day for us, but there is a value exchange there in, inside of having that experience. So I often run polls and ask, you know, I narrowed down the album covers. I, I designed a bunch of them. This is the first time I've designed my own album cover. It's the first time I've, first time I mixed my own record. And of course it's, yeah, it's just very funny that, if, you know, that's, this is the one that gets the Grammy nomination. But, uh, so I designed a bunch of covers. I ran a poll. I also, um, because there are no lyrics, it's so much harder for me coming from the pop world to name songs. Like in a pop song, you got your chorus and inside the chorus, there's definitely your, your album title somewhere. So when you just have these moods and for me, I want to, you know, if I, it was up to me, I would na- have named them all after Kevin, but I was like, I don't want it to be a, a death album or a, I lost my best friend album. So without saying anything, I sent a couple like 30 second snippets. Like I made a page. Um, and said, listen to this and then just fill out this form. Like, what are words that come to mind? What are moods that come to mind? And I decided to take, or, or what are images that come to mind? So I had a couple questions and people could fill that out. And I printed them out and I took notes on them. I got about 70 responses for 
think I was trying to name like three or four different songs that I was just kind of like, I don't know what this is supposed to be called. And they really helped me think um, Misty Cosmos was one of them. And I had this, this little motif in there that, um, you know, is re reminiscent of this jazz song, Misty, that my dad loved. So Misty Cosmos, someone had said mist and someone else says cosmic. And so I was able to kind of take these words together and like have the fans help name the album. And uh, yeah, and then the last thing I'm doing with my fans is I sent out an email saying, hey, do you want to come to the Grammys with me on my dress? Like send me your name handwritten and <laughs> I didn't. and you can... Uh, <laughs> I'm basically, I have a designer that's, that I'm working with that's, that's going to apply these names in a really creative way on part of the dress. Uh, I literally just came from the printer this morning, so they're already printed onto the fabric. So, um, oh, okay. So I'm a big fashion fan. Uh, may I ask who the designer is? I am working with two designers because it's a two piece thing. And the one that had the idea for the top, her name is Brooks Ludi. And she's in, ironically, Denver, Colorado, which is where Kevin was from and which is the beginning of my favorite part of the train ride. So that felt really good. And then the other designers are in Darien, Connecticut. And I was like, well, that's where I'm from. So it's a really funny collaboration, which seems to be the theme of just like bringing like, yes, let's bring all, all of the women, all the women, Every, all the women. And thank God for technology. Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, pulling people from all over the country to put, to bring this all together is in such a short period of time. I will say that on the train, like, even though they do have Wi-Fi and you have your cell service, the Wi-Fi never worked. Um, and I, listen, I love, oh no. I love the train and, and on, it was never late. We had minimal, minimal issues. They told me that it was like a 50, 50 chance of getting through the Rocky mountains in the middle of January without avalanches happening. I was like, let's take chances here. And it was perfect. Like, and the Wi-Fi was never good enough that I could actually send an MP3 to any of these collaborators. So I would have to like transfer it to my phone, get the email ready on my phone, run outside during the smoking break when I was standing still because your cell service is not great because your cell is trying to like ping all the towers, but you're moving. So it can't actually lock onto a, oh. this is my theory at least. You can't lock onto a, um, an actual, so I never had good service. So I was literally sending these emails and trying to do this, this work like from these smoking breaks you know, while I'm cleaning my windows. <laughs> yeah. While you're cleaning the windows. <laughs> That's great. Well, but it all came together. So we have the passenger and now we have a Grammy, Grammy nomination, which we're going to be finding out about on February 4th. Is that right? 5th, excuse me, February 5th of 2023. Unless and you know something I don't know. <laughs> I wish I did. Um, but I don't, uh, what I would like to ask though, because I don't know a whole lot about this process is, I mean, you've had this as your vision for over 20 years. This was a, a, a yeah. very big goal for you. How do you go from, all right, I've created this album to getting nominated for a Grammy procedurally? How does that work? Yeah. So the easiest way to do it is to become a member of the recording Academy, which I did about eight years ago. Um, back then you just needed a certain number of credits. So your name on as a producer or songwriter or artist on a certain number of credits. Now you need to be recommended by two current voting members. Every voting member gets two recommendations each year to bring people in and you have to answer some questions and write a little essay and blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and have some, some credits and they just need to know that you're going to be a, you know, contributing member to the recording Academy. There are about 13,000 voters right now. So once you're a member of the Recording Academy, you pay your dues and it, I think it lasts five years and then you renew and it's a hundred dollars a year to be a member. And there's all sorts of different programs and networking and things that happen with those dues. And then when it comes time to submit your album, it has to be inside the eligibility period, basically the previous year the album needed to have been released. And depending on what category you're submitting to, it needs to hit some cri criteria. So for example, for new age, Best New Age, they changed the title, so it's New Age Ambient or Chant Album, uh, has to be, I believe, 30 minutes of music, five tracks, um, or 15, mu 15 minutes of music, if more than five tracks. Or something. You know, there's, there's a couple like, this is what defines an album. And then, um, and you can submit that. If you're not a voting member, you can still have an album submitted by a voting member because um, any voting member can submit anyone's album. So you just need to know somebody. If your producer worked on it, that's easy. You know, that's another way to get get in. Um, and then you have to tell people about it. Like you have to make sure that people are listening to it. The cool thing in the past couple of years, the Recording Academy now has it so that the ballot is digital and you can click next to any 
name uh, any album or song or whatever the category is, you can click the Spotify link or the iTunes link. And if you submit your album correctly and send all those links, then anyone can listen to your music there. But I think, it, you know, getting it out there and sharing on social posts. I think if you have an email list th that happens to have people on it that are voting members, which I've sort of worked towards. Um, so that helped. Um, yeah. And then the then there's a voting period. So all of the submissions, well, first there's a consideration period, meaning there are committees that listen to everyone's submission. So everyone that submitted a new age will be listened to by the new age committee and they decide, yes, this is, this should stay here in new age ambient or chant, or no, this is actually classical, or this should go into jazz, or this is actually contemporary instrumental. And they'll move stuff around to make sure that. So if you, if whoever nominated you may have picked the wrong category, they'll actually correct it for you instead of just yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll they'll correct you, and and the the point of those committees is to also make sure that they're eligible. Um, like, does this have thirty minutes of music? Is this doing what it's supposed to do? Right? Was this released in the past year? You know, to you know, all of the those things to make sure that an album is is in fact eligible and belongs in that particular category. So the committee happens, and then there's a voting period, which I think is about two or three weeks, where all the voting members can vote on all of the submissions on this first round of the ballot. So, you know, in pop, there's like a couple thousand submissions. In the smaller categories, in some of the classicals, there's like 30 to 40 submissions. Um, the New Age is somewhere in, in the middle. And people vote for, you can vote for five. And you're allowed to vote inside three different fields. So there's fields and then there's about, I think now there's 91 categories inside of, I don't know, 20 to 30 fields. So for example, classical is a field and inside there's the opera category, the choral category, the, there's different categories inside there, right? Um, jazz has solo performance and blah, 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 you know, like rock and all those. They have different categories inside. Yeah, exactly. Inside of that field. New Age is similar to like children's music where it's just the field. There's one category. So this new, it's a newer rule and I hope they change it soon because um, it's very limiting because if you, you, you only get to vote in three categories or three fields and you use up a whole field for New Age because there's only, you know, there's only one. Same thing with the children's, there's a uh, spoken word. There's a couple others that there's only one category in that field. So people really have to be picky. The idea that the reason they did that, you used to be able to vote in like 15 fields mm -hmm. and, you know, so it wasn't even an issue, but I think they want people to vote in where they have expertise. So they narrowed it down. I think they narrowed it too much because there are producers that have an entry in classical and jazz and vocal and new age, and they're not able to even vote for all of their. their so projects. maybe what they, maybe a good solution would be how many uh, subcategories you can vote in instead of how many fields. You get 10, you can vote in 10 categories total and three fields. Yeah, there, there are definitely ways to, I think they, they went a little too far with that. I understand the intention. Um, but I think people have been like, well, this is really hard and it changes how you strategize, right? Cause if everyone can vote in new age, then you really want to go target everyone. But if only new age voters that are conscious of the genre and aware of, and, and now it's new age ambient and chant, which to me, we're always sort of new age, but now it's really like specified. Um, so now you're really, you know, it, it keeps changing. It's a moving target. It is a moving target. Okay. So uh, all of the voting comes in. The committee determines who the top contenders the top, are. That's what the nominee. So yeah. We, so then they announced the nominees and they announced that on November 15th last year. Okay. How'd you find out? I was in a week long meditation retreat, brain science retreat with Dr. Joe Dispenza. And I had run into... Charlene Close, who was someone that I had known through Facebook, but we ran into each other in like the registration line, right, right when you arrive. And she was like, oh, yeah, she had recognized me. And she's also had a new age album on the ballot, right? So there were like a couple hundred. And I knew that that following Tuesday, it started on a Sunday, that Tuesday, they were going to announce around one o'clock. But I was like, we're about to go into this two hour long meditation. I don't want to be stressing about it. I'll just watch it afterwards. I'll watch the announcements afterwards in our break. So I turned my phone off. It's, it's like one They're about to turn down the lights. There's 2000 people in this conference room, like this huge room. And you know, if anyone knows Joe Dispenza's like, sit up, like it starts with like this big boomy voice with like echo, like their sound system was amazing. And so I'm like getting ready. And like she somehow in 2000 people, 
this like divine angel comes up and she's like, congratulations on your nomination. And I was like, what? 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 And I like literally start freaking out. It was like such a surprise because it was, I had been like planning, going to lunch and like watching my phone and like telling, I told a couple of friends that I had just met that like, and they were going to come sit with me and we're going to like, like pull in the good vibe. Like I had this whole plan. Right. And then she like totally ruined the plan in the best way possible. I, I turn my phone on. I like call my mom. I'm like crying. I call my mom really fast. I'm in the back. I'm like, mom, I have to go, but I just got nominated for a Grammy. And she's like, oh my God, oh my God. And like, I turn my phone off because like the lights are off, the doors are closed. And like, once you leave, you can't come back into the meditations because, you know, whatever. I didn't even call my husband. I didn't call my sister. Like, I was just like, I saw a text from my sister. I was like, I got it. And then I turned my phone off. And she's probably like, you know what, Cheryl? You probably manifested this so hard that it happened so fast that other people were getting the signals. And they couldn't wait to come and tell you. <laughs> it was amazing. I I could like couldn't stop hugging her. Um, like every time I saw her that weekend, I was like, "You are part of this story forever." Like that was such a beautiful. And then you know, two hour meditation, and I'm like crying. I'm thinking about my dad. I'm thinking about Kevin. I'm like so grateful. I'm like, oh my god, I've been like dreaming of this for 19 years. Like this is ridiculous. And I mean, how often do you get some really big news and then just sit with yourself with it, only yourself? For two hours. Oh my gosh. And you were in the perfect place so to do that. It was so, so the perfect place. And experience all the emotions because I know there had to just been a flood of different. Oh my God. There's still there that. still are. I mean, just talking about it, I'm like, oh, this is such a yes. So we found it's like that they out. say it's such an honor. It, it really is. And just everyone that had believed in me and who believed in the story and understood that I'm like, I want to, this is not for my ego anymore. It used to be the, this dream definitely used to be a like validation thing. And I worked through that and I was like, yeah, no, I still want it now. Now I want it for different reasons. And, um, I just, I kind of keep transcending the, the Grammy and then I get another reason why it's still something that is important to me and that I can use to, you know, be on a platform and the, the emails that are getting responded to that wouldn't have gotten responded to before, just because I put Grammy nominated in the subject line. It's like, cool. We already, we, as in like women have a harder time, have to work twice as hard to get heard at these tables. And I'm like, I'm going to use this to be that voice at those tables or to flip the table altogether. I don't know. We'll see. Flip it over, man. Well, okay. So this kind of in, in starting to wrap up our conversation, what advice do you give to women who, and, and maybe not women in music, but women who have a very specific goal like this, that might be a long game goal. Um, what would you say is the key success factor? I, I think the thing that really shifted for me this year that had to show up this year versus previous years where I wanted it just as much and was doing just as much quality work. And I think the thing that really shifted for me that I would advise other people to do is to get into the, get from the head, like the thought and the, I want this and here's what I'm going to do and the strategizing and, and all that stuff exists up in the head. What shifted for me was bringing it into my body and really letting myself have the thoughts of this is, this is one. I deserve this. All of the like, all of those sort of mantra things like that you can tell yourself till the cows come home. I let myself feel them. And I started to feel like what the nomination felt like. And it was like this little ball of heat right behind my, and I knew that I could like pull it to me. I could like pull that future. And this is, you know, what I was learning at this retreat all week long was that all, if all the futures exist, if all possible in the quantum field, right, you just need to operate at the frequency of the thing that you want to attract. So I really had to step into like, what's the frequency of a Grammy nominee or a Grammy winner? And am I putting that out there? And am I attracting that, you know, like, like attracts like, and, you know, am I being, am I repelling that? Or am I actually pulling it in with the way I'm being. And I just kind of leveled up on a self-awareness level, like who I was being and to the point where I could feel it in my body. So if you're so stuck up here in the, in the thinking of the strategizing of how I'm going to get the thing, how I'm going to get the thing, like I would really pause and see what does that feel like to get it? And what is it? Yeah. What does it need to feel like? And, and how am I not feeling that now? What am I feeling right now? Am I feeling lack? Am I feeling not worthy? Am I feeling like pressure? Am I feeling, cause like those things are not most likely probably not the frequency of the thing you're trying to pull in. Exactly. Yes. In fact, I'm reading a phenomenal book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And it's 
right along those lines of the body, the mind connection, but really, and and this was new to me, feeling it in the body. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you uh, have some sound advice there from Grammy nominee Cheryl B. Englehart. Uh, we are so delighted that you showed uh, shared your story that you came with us today. And um, we can't wait to celebrate all of your future wins with you because I know there are definitely more nominations Thank in you your so future. Much. By the way, you know that book, Breaking Habit of Being Yourself, is by Joe Dispenza. Who, yeah, who I was at the by retreat Joe Dispenza. With. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, okay. Once again, I'm reading that book right now. The universe works in mysterious ways. I think I talked to you exactly when I needed to hear all of this. So thank you. Ooh, I got chills. Who's got chills? I've got chills. The reason why we interview trailblazers and rising stars like Cheryl is because they remind us to be dreamers, rule breakers, and rock stars. Thank you again, Cheryl, for showing up today. Thank you so much for having me. Until next time, it's a wrap. Backstage Chats with Women in Music is a production of Horizon Music Foundation, a nonprofit based in Austin, Texas. Giving credit where credit is due, we'd like to thank folks for their contributions to this episode, including Cheryl B. Englehart for the song The Beautiful Bridge, Zhang Tong for the audio production and editing, Bianca Garcia and her social media team, including Kira Vasquez, Pamela Sierra, Victoria Artel, Sofia Valverde, and Christy Loach. And last but not least, Pond5 for our theme music. Your donations help make this podcast possible. Please visit horizonmusic.org to donate today. This podcast is the property of Horizon Music Foundation and is protected by copyright law. Use of this podcast is for personal and non-commercial purposes only. No other use of this production, including and without limitation, reproduction, retransmission, or editing may be made without prior consent from the Horizon Music Foundation. Submit all requests to info at horizonmusic.org. <laughs>